I forgot to start the recording. That's on me. Whoever isn't here and listens later will just listen halfway. That's my bad. That's my mistake. It was me. And apparently, do we have a good? Yeah, we do. Okay, cool. Okay, so to kind of understand this teaching of Jesus as the good shepherd, I'm going to stand over here so most of you can see me. Jesus was talking about a sheep pen and a gate. Okay? So we have two lines here. We have um, on the bottom line, we're going to put um, those who are lost and, uh, and dying. We'll just, it's kind of gloomy down here beneath the, the sheep pen. And those are above are found and alive. Okay, and then we let's say we just have this gate right here. Let's. This is really bad. I'm just saying I'm not an artist, so just bear with me. Okay, so we have gate. Okay, so um, Jesus tells us that he is the good shepherd, and he stands at the gate protecting the sheep that he has called the sheep who come to him the sheep who are found by him and who have life. They are found and they are alive. Now, there are um, outside of the gate you have fencing that separates the lost and dying people outside of the pasture, outside of the sheep pen, from the people inside the sheep pen. Okay? And you have thieves and robbers trying to get in the sheep pen. Now, if you're a thief or a robber, would you go through the front door of a building? No, you have to like break through a side window you have to, like, climb into a secretive place. False shepherds or thieves and robbers don't open the gate to get to the sheep uh, because uh, they need to be secretive. What Jesus is saying is he is the good shepherd. He doesn't need to be secretive. He stands at the gate. He is the good shepherd. The sheep know him, and he knows the sheep. He doesn't have to be secretive to get inside the sheep pen, and the sheep don't run away when he is in the sheep pen. They are close by the good shepherd. Those are my sheep. From the highway, you can't tell a difference. In this illustration, Jesus is this good shepherd, and true believers are sheep. And Jesus said, anyone who trusts in Jesus as the good shepherd, who listens to him, who goes to him, will receive spiritual life and access into the sheep pen. Jesus continues then, there are false teachers who have come before him and tried to pretend like the good shepherd. But when a wolf comes or when danger comes, the false teacher will leave the sheep because he cares only about himself. He only uses the sheep for his own benefit. Jesus, though, on the other hand, what separates him from false teachers or false shepherds is that even when there is danger, when there's a wolf coming to the gate pen, when there, or the gate and the sheep pen, when there are attacks by wild animals that could hurt or harm the sheep, Jesus doesn't leave. Instead, Jesus stays and protects them to the point of sacrificing his life for the sheep because he loves the sheep. He knows the sheep. The sheep know him. Now, he, G Jesus here is clearly alluding to the fact that he will sacrifice his own life for those who believe in him. If you go back to your scripture notebooks and you look at verses 17 and 18 of John 
chapter 10, we see this. We see this. And in verses 17, it says, and if you want to underline a verse, this would be a good one to underline. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down. I have the right to take it up again. And I have received this commandment from the Father. Now, here he is clearly alluding to the fact that he will sacrifice his life for the sheep when he dies on the cross and then is resurrected three days later. He says, I have the right to lay it down and have the right to take it back up again. This is what Jesus is talking about. Now, there are three things that we can see Jesus doing in this kind of parable analogy as a good shepherd. Here are the three things that we can see Jesus doing as the good shepherd. First, Jesus knows the true believers. So this is another point if you're taking notes. Jesus knows the true believers. Jesus knows everything about true believers, and this isn't just a general knowing. Jesus knows the good, bad, and the ugly. He knows where we sin and fail, yet he still chooses to love us. He is still faithful to us even when we fail and when we fail to love him and love others. The second thing that we see Jesus doing as the good shepherd is that he protects true believers. Jesus protects us by giving us the Holy Spirit when we become true believers. And when this happens, we have the Spirit of God dwelling inside our souls. And we have protection from any spiritual attack we face and the ability to overcome any temptation that we experience. The third thing that we see uh, characterized as Jesus being the good shepherd is Jesus sacrifices himself for true believers. Jesus sacrificed his life because of his love for us. He gave everything so that we may have uh, life and have a right relationship with God. And all that Jesus requires of us is to confess our sin to him, to, to repent, to turn from it, ask for forgiveness, and commit living a life that is God-glorifying. And when this happens, we are allowed access into the gate pen where all other true believers are there and where we are protected by Jesus, where we are found by Christ and where we can have true life. Now, with all that said, at the end of this passage, we see people still not believing. We still see people making the claim that Jesus has a demon. But yet we also still see people seeing the signs that Jesus has done and believing the words that he said. So let's continue reading John chapter 10 as we continue our study. So pick it up back in verse 22. So John 10, find verse 22 in your scripture notebook. Then the festival of dedication took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Jesus was walking in the temple in Solomon's colonnade, and the Jews surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. I did tell you, and you don't believe, Jesus answered them. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. But if you don't believe because you are not, but you don't believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him, but Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these are you stoning me? 
We aren't stoning you for a good work, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Isn't it written in your law, I said, you are gods? If you called those to whom the word of God came gods, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say you're blaspheming to the one the Father has sent apart and sent into the world? Because I said, I am the Son of God. I'm not doing my Father's work. If I'm not doing my Father's work, don't believe me. But if I am doing them and you don't believe me, believe the works. This way you will know and understand that the Father's in me and I am the Father. Then they were trying again to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. So he departed again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing earlier, and he remained there. Many came to him and said, John never did a sign, but everything John said about this man was true, and many believed him there. In the second part of John 10, Jesus clearly makes this claim yet again that he is God's son, God in flesh. We see this in verses 23 through 30. Again, another section that would be great to highlight. 10 verses 29 and 30. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my father's hands and I and the father are one. Now, as a result of claiming that he is God's son and God in flesh, the Jews try to stone him. And as a defense for himself, Jesus says this in verse 38, 39. Again, I would underline these. Verses 37 and 38 say, if I'm not doing my father's work, don't believe me. But if I'm doing them and you don't believe me, believe the works. This way you will know and understand that the father is in me and I am the father. Now, this point that we've been trying to teach you going through uh, the gospel of John is whether or not you decide to trust in Jesus as your savior Um, or not, uh, we do hope that you do trust in him. But whether you decide or not, ultimately, I hope you understand the truth that Jesus is real. Jesus is God. He is truth. And whether you accept or reject that truth is up to you. But I hope you realize it as truth. Now, when we're in this, you know, whether we accept Jesus and what he said as truth or not, we can't just say, oh, yeah, I believe that Jesus was real and that he was a good teacher. He was a good moral person, but I don't know if he was God, and I don't want him to affect my life. There's an issue with that, and C.S. Lewis writes this. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You you must make your choice. Either this man, being Jesus, was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. What C.S. Lewis is saying here is you can't just say Jesus was just a man. If you said he was just a man and, and also agree that he was a good teacher... The things that he taught, if he was just a man, would have made him a lunatic or something worse. The fact that if you believe that Jesus is real, you have to also take into the fact that he is God and that what he said is truth. Because C.S. Lewis continues um, later in this statement, he says, Now it seems obvious that, what, that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, C.S. Lewis says, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. 
just reiterating that Jesus was a real person, that he did these things, that he said um, the, the stuff that he taught the people and his works back it up. So we have to take it as at face value and we have to accept it as truth. Now Jesus, again, after teaching the Jews here in John 10, saying and claiming that he is God in flesh, he will perform yet another sign to back that up. And that's what we're going to read here in John 11. So to close our lesson, we're going to read John 11. So follow along in your scripture notebooks. Again, underline things that are interesting to you. Underline things that stick out to you. Write some notes. But we're going to read through John 11, the story of uh, Jesus' seventh sign that is backing up yet again his claim to be God in flesh. So follow along with me in scripture notebooks. If you don't have your scripture notebook, I have the, the verses on the screen. So John 11, verse 1. Now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of, Man, or Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And then after that, he said to his disciples, let's go to, to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going there again? Aren't there 12 hours in a day, Jesus answered? If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does not stumble because the light is not in him. He does stumble because the light is not in him. He said this, and then he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am on my way to wake him up. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. Let's go to him. And Thomas, called twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too so that we may die with him. And when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus has already been in the tomb four days Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Verse 24. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. And having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And as soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had yet not come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And the Jews were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. 
And as soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And when Jesus saw her crying, the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. And then the shortest book or shortest verse in all of Scripture, verse 35, Jesus wept. Verse 36, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some, have, some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me because of the crowd standing here. I said this so that they may believe you sent me. Verse 43. And after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out bound, hand and foot, with linen strips, and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them that Jesus, what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin and were saying, What are we going to do since this man is doing many signs? If we let him go on this, like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. One of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. You are not considering that it is to your advantage that one man should die for the people rather than the whole nation perish? He did not say, on the, say this on his own, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but to unite the scattered children of God. So from that day, they plotted to kill him. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but departed from there to the countryside near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and he stayed there with the disciples. Now the Jewish Passover was near, and many went up to Jerusalem from the country to purify themselves before the Passover. They were looking for Jesus and asking one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? He won't come to the festival, will he? The chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it so that they could arrest him. That was a lot. I mean, in the end, we see Jesus performing this miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead back to life. In the end, we see some people believing in Jesus as their Savior. They see the signs. They see the miracles. They see the works that Jesus is doing, and they are compelled that this man is not just a mere man, that this man has credibility, that this man is actually who he says he is, that he is God the Son, God in flesh. But still, we see the majority of Jews, they're still trying to conspire against Jesus, have him arrested. They are plotting to kill Jesus. I'll end with this question. Um, before we close, what will you do with this 
knowledge and understanding. In the story, we see people that have this knowledge and understanding that see this, that witness this. They believe and trust in Jesus, and we see others reject and plot against him. They hate him. They're trying to make him dead. What will you do with the fact that Jesus is God? If you haven't yet, will you believe in Jesus as your Savior? Will you trust in him as Lord over your life? Now, if this is something you are feeling convicted about or feel like God is tugging on your heart in these areas, please talk to your small group leader or talk and uh, come find me after small groups is done, and we will talk about what it means to trust in Jesus, what it means to have a right relationship with God, what it means to live as a Christ follower. If you've already been saved from your sins, if you already have this right relationship with God, then my question to you is, who can you share this with? Who can you share this life-giving truth with? If you believe that the gospel of Christ has changed your life, then who are you praying for that it will also change their lives? If you believe that what Jesus is saying is true, then the result of that is those who believe are found and alive and spend eternity with Him, and those who don't know Christ are lost, and they're condemned already and going to hell without Christ. So if you believe that truth, then who around you needs to know that? Who around you doesn't already believe that, that you care about you should share those truths with. In either case, I pray that we wouldn't just sit, sit still with an understanding that Jesus is God. In any case, whether we are unbeliever and we have yet to make that decision, or if we are a believer and we're trying to ask, you know, who doesn't know this? In any case, we can't sit still with this understanding that Jesus is indeed God, that what he says is true. I pray that this truth will bring us to action, an action that we can live out. Because either if we are unbeliever, we have to make the action. Are we, continue, are we going to continue to reject Christ, reject living for him as the Pharisees and Jews do in John 11 that we just read? Or will we take that action step to trust in him, believe in him, as we see many people in, in John 10 11 do? We can't just sit still. There's a natural action that has to happen, and I pray and I hope that we would trust in Jesus, one, and two, we would be motivated to share. I mean, Dave, if you were here for Sunday morning church, Dave preached that. He preached a message of proclaiming the gospel to the nations, and that is our job to proclaim around people who we are close to, our community, and to be praying for those around the world to know Jesus. With that, let's pray. Father God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for uh, the ability to study your word, John chapter 10, John chapter 11. God, thank you for clearly showing us truth, that you love us so much that you call us, you know us, you sacrificed your life for us, Jesus. We thank you for that. God, thank you for allowing us to see this truth, to understand this truth. God, I pray that we wouldn't just sit still here with this understanding, that it would cause us, 
to act. God, I pray that you would draw us closer to you, that you would create in us a heart and a desire to love and grow closer to you and a desire to share the gospel with those around us. God, I pray as we go into small groups that students will be able to have open conversations. God, I pray that you would um, cause students to recall um, just truths from your scripture, that we would be able to um, be vulnerable and honest about where we are. God, I pray that we would desire to grow in our love for you and love for others each and every day. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.